This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with chefs and authors. We'll also be speaking to food producers about the history of their companies and why chefs love using their ingredients. On this episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking about one of the most fundamental ingredients in the kitchen, Andrea, flour. We talk about pantry staples a lot. I think flour is probably sitting in most kitchens professionally and at home. Yeah, who doesn't have flour in right. the pantry? But not, I mean, we say this all the time. Yeah. Not all flowers are created equal. Oh, no, for sure they're not. And there's so many different types. And now, especially, I feel like you're seeing pretty much any grain that's available, they're turning it into a flower. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. So we're going to talk all about flour today, the different uses of it. What do you use flour for at your house, like primarily? Are you baking a lot? Yeah. I mean, I bake a little bit. I, you know, cookies quick breads typically. I make a lot of chicken cutlets. So sometimes, you know, the standard breading procedure. Yeah. Yeah. I find that I'm using flour mostly for dredge in my house for dredging things. Yeah. You know, personally, I'm a King Arthur fan. They're milling consistently and you know that it's, you know, fresh. It's not sitting on the shelf for a long period of time. So, you know, I like King Arthur. I like King Arthur. I love Caputo from Italy. But there's a place for Caputo. There is a place. Tell us about that place. Well, depends on the flour. Probably the most famous pizza maker's flour on the planet. Agreed. Comes from Naples, Italy. They're double zero, whether you get the blue bag or the red bag. One's or, pizza, one's pasta. Yeah, probably the two most popular Italian flours in the world. Yep. They actually have now a really great gluten-free flour that's out. Yeah. They have something called Americano, which is made for pizza makers who are using gas-fired ovens. Like a deck oven. That have a yeah a lower temperature versus a wood-fired oven that goes to 850 degrees. Mm-hmm. The nuances in the products that they're making. It used to be, hey, you know, when you know mom and dad used to go to the supermarket and buy a bag of flour, a bag of flour is a bag of flour. Yeah. It's not so today. There's so many technological improvements that there are different flowers for different purposes. Yes. And, you know, bleached versus unbleached, you know, even different levels of proteins and bread flowers are available now. And obviously gluten-free is a big discussion for a lot of people. There's Cup for Cup, which is a big brand in the gluten-free world for flour. There's, I mean, we could talk about flour for for hours. Yeah. We're going to be talking with one of the most famous pastry chefs in America, if not the world right now. He got a lot of acclaim for inventing something called the cronut, mm-hmm. half croissant, half donut. His name is Dominic Ansel. And, uh, you know, he's got a couple of pastry shops in New York City. You can find them just by looking for the line snaking down the street. Flour is like the main ingredient. I put in a special request from Chester House to hold the flour for minimum two weeks before we actually uh, send it here to, to my kitchen. And we're also going to be speaking with Tribeca Oven, who's a great partner of Chef's Warehouse. They produce amazing artisan breads for restaurants and also, you know, for home use. But these are very, very high quality. They go from the freezer to the oven. And within about 15 minutes on average, you get restaurant quality bread. Yeah. And there's a lot of restaurants that just do not have the capacity to roll out, you know, hundreds of pounds of dough every day, Mm -hmm. let it rise, bake it, and then serve it. And you'd be surprised the quality of these breads, like you were talking about, they're par-baked, they're, you know, they're made and they're frozen. 
and you just pop them in the oven to either bake them off or reheat them? All of our recipes are are based on four main ingredients, right? Flour, water, yeast, and salt. And really, that's it, right? We're not using any enzymes, any preservatives, any conditioners, any dough drugs is what we call them. I love their baguettes. They're awesome. And I think, you know, most chefs, if they are buying from a really high quality bakery, you get that bread if you don't use it within 24 hours, it's going to be stale. It's going to be hard. Yes, you can repurpose it for meatballs or croutons or something of that nature. But when you're buying a par-baked product, you can bake off exactly what you need for that day. And it's going to be fresh, you know, more than, you know, sometimes getting it from this a bakery. This is going to be a great yeah. episode. Flour for hours. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. All right, Andrew, this is kind of like a heavenly podcast. Can you smell uh, where we are right now? It smells amazing. It smells like butter and flour and sugar and like the most amazing French pastries. We are so stoked to be in New York City with Dominic Ansel at his workshop. It's incredible. Welcome, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us here. Yeah. No, nice to have you here. We are going to talk today about so many things before we even jump into the ingredient. I've known Dominic for, I'm old, since his very early days of coming to the United States. When did you even come to the U.S.? That's right. I've known each other since, I think since I came first came here, it was yeah. 2006. Yeah. So a while ago, yeah. And, and you, you came to work at for Danielle? Yeah, I came to work for Danielle. That was 15 years ago. So previously I was in, in Paris at a renowned pastry shop, mm -hmm. uh, Fauchon. And I, I was there for eight years. I was a corporate pastry chef. So I would travel, open shops around the world. And uh, someday a friend of mine told me Danielle was looking for a pastry chef. So I reached out to him. I came, did testing, everything worked out. And a few weeks later, I was here with my two suitcases. So that was 2006. First time in the U.S. That's pretty amazing. And Danielle has a long history of having some great executive pastry chefs. So you were following in the line of Francois Payard, Johnny Uzzini. I mean, Jacques Torres was... Jacques Torres was, was the original. Was a chef for uh, uh, for Danielle at uh, Le Cirque. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Way in back the in the days, day. Yeah. So yeah, Danielle has definitely trained like some of the best chefs in the city. Uh, not just pastry chefs, but I think like savory chef as, as well, like... And sommelier and GMs and yeah, I think really he's trained amazing. some of the best in the city. And you guys go on to graduate to doing these amazing independent projects. Well, it's, you must be proud. I know your family must be so proud of you. So we have a lot of young chefs who listen to the program. And I bet a lot of would be curious to know exactly how you went. You spent several years at Fauchon. And mm -hmm. one thing that Andrew and I spoke about also this morning was you've spent a lot of time at the places you've worked. Yeah, you've eight of, years at Fauchon, yeah. six years at Danielle. Typically, the life cycle of a chef is about a year. I went somewhere and I learned for a year and yeah. then I left and then I went somewhere else and I moved on. And then Dominique, obviously, when he went on his own, became super famous right out of the gate for the cronut which we're not going to talk about today because you probably go crazy about talking about cronuts. <laughs> that's all right. I've talked about it for, for many years, but... That was in, what, 2013? That's that's right, yeah. yeah. And so that was an absolute craze. And I remember talking to you back then. There was just all of this talk going on about the cronut, and I tried one, and I was like, amazing. We were probably talking or putting together an order, and I remember saying, Dominique, I have a feeling 
that everybody like Dunkin' Donuts, all these places are going to try to copy this thing. You've like, got to like, the trademark can, you, can you trademark it? Can you copyright a recipe? And I was looking, Andrew and I were looking the other day mm-hmm. on your website, you'd have a trademark on Cronut. Yeah, that's right. We trademarked the Cronut. Uh, at the time, it was the very beginning of the bakery. It was two years in and a friend of mine came by the bakery. Uh, she's also a lawyer who trademarked Dominican Cell Bakery, the name. Of course, she heard of the Cronut and she thought it was amazing and she suggested to trademark it. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, no, it's useless. You know, there's no need to trademark a pastry. And she insisted, saying that I should protect myself to go so viral so fast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would like envy the, the name and try to take it over and stop me, prevent me from using it. Namely, industrials and all big, large companies. Uh, she trademarked everything for us. Five days later, they had uh, 27 applications for the same name. Wow. The current name from industrials, large companies from all over the world. That's I'm crazy. Sure. And for anybody who doesn't know what a cronut is. To describe it simply, it's a, a perfect hybrid between a croissant and a donut. It has the shape of a donut, beautiful light layers. It's filled with cream, coated with sugar, glazed with uh, different different flavors depending on the month. We change the flavor every single month and we have never ever repeated the same flavor. Wow. Ever. Is there a flavor of cronut that you did that sticks out in your memory as being completely crazy, wild and weird? Uh, for me... The first one. The very first one. Where everything was crazy wild and... (laughs) But how did you think of it? You know, at the time, we didn't have much. I only had four employees. Two cooks in the kitchen, two two people, two baristas to serve pastries and make coffee. Uh, My wife was in business with me and she had told me to challenge me to do something for Mother's Day. And she was like, why don't you do a donut? And I was like, no, I'm I'm French, you know, I don't have a recipe for donuts. So she's like, come on, you you can try to do something creative, try try to do something new. And I work on a recipe for quite a bit of time. And I mean, I grew up eating croissant, of course. I love croissant my whole life. You know, we have a, a whole new shop right here in uh, Flatiron dedicated to croissants and, and lamination. So I want to do something that is uh, uses those techniques, but still like is connected to the to the donut. And that's how I started it. Ah, so, so we owe Amy all the credit yeah, for it's this really your wife. invention. <laughs> yeah. They always say behind a great man is an even greater woman. Yeah. So now we oh, know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I never stopped talking about it. I mean, she's a great source of inspiration and and definitely challenges me every day and uh, wouldn't be here without her. That's awesome. So today we're going to talk about flour. You know, it may not sound like the most exciting ingredient when you just say flour, but it is one of the like I mean, it's staples the base. of... Yeah, it's a base for everything that you make here, right? That's everything for me. Flour is like the main ingredient. Very intricate. You know, for a pastry chef, it's very specific. It's very unique because... We talk about gluten content. We talk about freshness of the dough, the type of flour you use, what purpose you use it for. There's like many, like there's hundreds of flour out there, thousands of suppliers that, that provide different quality of flour. And uh, you have to use the right flour for the right purpose. We were walking into your beautiful office today through this amazing kitchen that you have here. And I counted at least three or four different types of flour. That's right. At so, least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what types are you using? What are kind of the staples? I saw some King Arthur back there. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the, the one I'm the most proud of is the one we currently sourced with Chefs for House. Imported flour from France. It's uh, Les Grands Moulins de Paris. Very unique flour that I actually used when I was back in France. I was at Fauchon. Uh, the same type of flour. Wheat that is uh, harvested around Paris. 
perfectly. So you always have consistency in, in and the quality of the flour. So the gluten uh, content in that flour, it's a French flour, it's imported. Uh, the gluten content is like beautiful and, and so consistent that it gives us the ability of like actually walk our recipe the same way I used to do it back in France. So the quality and the final product is just like amazing. And for, you know, for any chef's flour is flour is flour. For any pastry chef, flour is very, again, very specific. You have to use the right flour. The, the flour that we use is called rouge. Uh, it's called red. So a rouge in French type of flour that is used mostly for croissants and viennoiserie. Yes, Chef's Warehouse imports flour from France for you. You are using all these different flours. But we actually, you've requested that we do an aged flour. Tell us about that. Why? I've never heard of it. Why would a chef age flour? So yes, I also uh, work with uh, King Arthur flour. It's a different process, similar but, but different. They get wheat from uh, different places. It's also a good flour. When the flour is too young, actually the gluten content is not as, as rich. So the flour after it's harvested and, and milled has to rest for about two weeks, minimum two weeks. The gluten in the flour changes and, and, and modifies itself. So if the flour is too young, for our use for uh, you know anything that has to do with like dough and where you add water and there's like a fermentation, it affects the product a lot. For most people, they won't see it, but for us, for, for us bakers, like it's very sensitive. So the flour has to be aged for two weeks before we can even use it. I put in a special request from Chef's Warehouse to hold the flour for minimum two weeks before we actually uh, send it here to, to my kitchen. That's really wild. What is the difference if you have a young flour, is it something that you can see or feel before baking when you're using it? Absolutely, completely. For us, it's that precise, that specific. The flour has to be aged. If it's not, everything will be soft. Uh, the gluten development will be poor. We won't have any elasticity. So it won't hold the butter inside the dough when we give all the folds. We'll just break and fall apart and we'll have a poor results with that with a croissant. So the more you age, the better elasticity you're going to have with the it's, dough? It's not the more you age, it's minimum this like it's time frame weeks. of two weeks before you can use it. Yeah. I mean, we sell to a lot of pastry chefs at Chef's Warehouse. You're the only person that, you know, we do this for. We have a rotation in place for you to make sure that you're always getting, you know, at least two weeks. So oh, yeah. And now, well, after this podcast, you know, oh, yeah. podcast, now we're, everyone's we're going to be have every pastry chef <laughs> in North America who's trying to make a croissant of the level Great. that's happening here calling us saying, hey, I want my flour aged just like Dominic you know, Ansel. I, I don't think you have to do it. I think probably came a point where we were using a lot of flour. I don't know if you guys had enough in stock or not, or if the suppliers could keep up with the, the demand. But it, it came a point where like the flour we're getting was too fresh it was for just us. too green or too, too, too young. young. Yeah, too young, amazing. too fresh for us. Wow. But I'm you know, really excited that this year we started working with Le Grand Moulin Paris, which is, you know, a little pricier uh, flour, but quality-wise, like for me, it's like, it's, it's everything. It's the, the, the flour we use here for our croissant. We use different type of flour for different purposes. Yeah, I mean, these are arguably the best croissants in North America, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. They are perfection. What makes the perfect croissant? What is a perfect croissant or close to perfect? You know, perfect croissant, I've been looking for it for my whole life. I still haven't found it. I think what we do here is, Really, really good. We do what we call a cross section every single day. So we cut and cross on half and we look at those little like air pockets, which we call the honeycomb. And we'll analyze the croissant based of this. The size of the air pocket, texture of the, the, the crumb and the, the crust, color of the croissant, the layers, uh, how it expanded. We look at hundreds of different things and 
This is what we do for every single location that I have. We've always done this. Every morning is part of the tradition. The chefs do a cross section and they send the photos with what we call opening notes. So photos of the display, make sure everything looks good and clean. Photos of the cross section to make sure the quality of the croissant is good. And then we'll, we'll talk if there's any issues, questions or comments on, on, on the food. Perfect croissant. Yes, uh, we, we perfect it every day. Uh, it's very much alive, changes all the time. We use our own Levin in our croissant, the Levin that I started before I opened the bakery, 10 years old now, almost like a rolling stock. A base that you have, you take a little bit off and then you add on some water and you keep refreshing it. It's a bit like this with the Levin. We take some off, we feed it again. It's but almost the, like a starter for a bread maker. It is. Because some listeners may not know what Levin is. So Levin is, is a starter. It's a, essentially you start with a bit of flour, water, and you let it ferment. Sometimes people add a tiny bit of sugar just to start the fermentation. And you leave it outside for a day or two. And then you add a bit more flour and water. So it's going to start expanding. It's going to start developing uh, bacteria inside, uh, the good one. And then you're going to keep on refreshing. You keep on feeding it. That's how we call it. Uh, adding flour and water every day until it reaches a certain uh, level of maturity. So it has nice fermentation. So then you start playing with the, the fridge and leaving it outside and feeding it. So we call it the baby because you have to take care of it like a baby. I was going to yeah. say that's your first baby, right? That's my first baby, yeah. <laughs> you have to feed it every single day and you have to refresh it every single day. Otherwise, we'll just die. That's incredible. Is there a croissant in your memory childhood or even adulthood that stands out in your mind as this is the croissant I want to recreate? There's one, yes. There's one when I was in Paris my first uh, year. I worked at a pastry shop called Peltier, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. It was one of the oldest pastry shops in Paris. And uh, we used to do the, the this butter where we will like take the butter and like rub it in your hand to make it like very like pliable and apply it with your fingertip, like rubbing it on the croissant itself. And we'll do this like twice during the process. So it sounds a little like a crazy technique, but those were some of the most beautiful croissants I've, I've ever seen. And to this day, even with my knowledge, with my experience, I cannot, I, I was never able to recreate the same, same technique and same croissant. And I think a lot has to do with the type of flour we're using back then, which we cannot get anymore. Interesting. And the types of flour that you're choosing for each individual, whether it's a croissant or a brioche, how, how do you come up with that? Is it just like testing the different protein contents and ash and all these types of things or? Yes, you know, there's like, there's some base, there's some foundations always. Yeah, I don't create recipes from zero, from scratch. There's always some, a recipe that I was used in the past. Of course, you look at it, you look at the percentages of, uh, you know, fat, uh, water, hydration, flour, whatever you need to accomplish the result you're looking for. And based off this recipe, Sometimes I'll test like two, three different flowers, different brand, different type of flowers. And I'll see like compare and see what result I get and then tweak those recipes based on that. And what should a home consumer look for when they're buying flour? I think you go down the aisle, there's a lot of different options. What do you recommend? I think the most important is to know what you're preparing first and what type of flour is suggested for the preparation. You cannot just buy any random flowers and hoping to do like bread or, or croissant. Uh, every flower is specific for a purpose and you have to know what, what you're looking for. And most of the recipe will list what type of flour to use and why. When did you first make a croissant? How old were you? Like, was this back in France when you were a child? Yeah, probably. The, I remember ma making croissant at home. 
after going to baking school, coming back home, and I was so excited about it. Uh, Did you, you know, have a family of in baking and restaurants? No, absolutely not. Actually, like I think my mom was a horrible cook. She didn't like it. She was not good baking either. Probably what like pushed me to go to the kitchen and like start, survival. start cooking. <laughs> we hear the story. Yeah. Eric Repair said the same thing. His yeah. mom was not a good cook and therefore he, he learned to cook at a All at chefs a young come age. from bad parental cooks, yeah. I guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I rarely hear this, actually. Oh. Most of the chefs I know, their mother or grandmother were like amazing in cooking. That's what inspired them to cook. Grandmothers, yes. But a lot grandmother, of the mothers, yeah. it skips. But then there's a lot of That's people true. who have mothers that were Amazing, absolutely yeah. incredible. My grandma was actually pretty good at cooking. She was yeah. not amazing, but she was pretty good. She was good. What part of France did you grow up in? I grew up in North France, like about an hour away from Paris. It's not Paris. It's the suburb. A humble, very humble family. My dad was a factory worker. Four kids at home. My grandma lived with us. My cousin lived with us. The end of the month, we're, we're tight. So we didn't always have like a lot of food or enough food for everyone. We learned how to save and, and you know, like do the best we could with, uh, with food as well. I saw that you, I was reading your website, you do a lot kind of for the community and to give mm -hmm. back. Seems like it's very important to you. It is. I think something that impacted me in my uh, younger age that I did not work with a lot of different charities in the city until like not too long ago. People were reaching out when the current crisis happened, asking me to be part of charities. And I was like, of course, like we're going to help and we're going to do everything we can today, like mostly to help to fight against hunger and other things as well. Wonderful. I'm Dominique Ansel and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. We talked about the cronut and the croissants. What are some of the biggest selling, you know, most popular items that you, you offer? I'll be, I'll be guessing there's actually another cronut. It's called the DKA. It stands for Dominique's Queen Yaman. Oh my it's, God, uh, yes. it's Celtic, it's like it's flaky, caramelized croissant. It's crunchy on the outside, like super flaky, gooey and, and tender in the center. Something that outsells the cronut and it always has. It's been in menu since day one. I still actually remember the first time I made a batch in the, in the US was at Daniel. I will always do something new every every week for a manager meeting, uh, once a week. And this one day I was like, oh, I'm gonna make Queen Man. I've made them in France before, that's pretty good. So I made them at Daniel. All the managers like tried it. They were crazy for they it. Freaked out. They, yeah, freaked out. Yeah, they came to see me after the meeting. Like, oh, can you make some more of this? I was like, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's amazing. I made it just for fun, just for you guys to try something else and for my team to learn something new as well. That's why I was doing something new every week. But no, I can I cannot make more. I'm too busy. Like I made one more batch. I think two weeks later, and people in the kitchen were lining up for more. <laughs> that was my first line. I feel like I walked for, in for Danielle my one day when this was going on. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. And uh, you know, the, all all the chefs were lining up to get some of it. I'm like, guys, I'm not making this every week. This there's no way. So when you moved into the space, we noticed when we came in on the right, there is a beautiful test kitchen. Is that where a lot of the juices get flowing? You start playing around with different recipes. Yeah. So the test kitchen is something I've always dreamed about having. Of course, as a chef, every kitchen in New York City is too small. There's not enough space, not enough room to do anything. I designed this this new location with the purpose of having having my own space to be able to uh, yes to think of ideas to create, having a chance to continue this evolution, testing, tweaking, and learning with. A test kitchen, I think it was a very important investment for me. Yeah. The workshop opened in 2021. July, end of July. In July of 2021. One of the things that was so cool when we walked in this space at the workshop was we saw lots of boxes being prepared to get shipped all over the country. So you don't have to just be in New York City to come to the workshop. You actually have a pretty robust business, it looks like. 
on dominicansel.com. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dominic Ansel online. Online. So okay. we started uh, shipping uh, last year during the pandemic, of course, because we want to reach out to our, our clientele that is pretty um, from all over, all over the, the country and we want to give them a chance to, to get some of our treats for the holidays. And this took off more than we expected. Wait, I have one last question. And again, I, I've known Dominic since he, f- he first came to the United States. He's skinny. I mean, this is a radio show. So you John can't has see been it. talking about asking you this question all day. I mean, I want you to know. How do you do it? You're surrounded by the most amazing pastries on the planet. You have to taste them. Look, you know, there's, the, you there's running, no big... You run 10 miles? Do you I, run to I, and from? I don't run. I used to run. I, I run the New York Marathon, which was very exciting. I can't run anymore. I have bad knee. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, I've been doing this for over 25 years now. I've been in business for uh, over 10 years. And still last week, you know, I was in the kitchen for 20 plus hours uh, making those pies for everyone. It's There's no there's no big secrets, you know, like I'm standing stand on my feet all day long. I uh, eat a little bit and I'm pretty active. So yeah, there's no there's no rest time or not that much. You know, metabolism, I'm probably very lucky too. I love it. Wasn't there a book called like the French paradox or something like yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, French people don't get fat. Exactly. Either, so. You get to eat all these croissants. <laughs> Anyhow, thanks again. This has been such a pleasure. This was incredible. John and I are starving and we're going to go get some <laughs> uh, croissants in your beautiful, beautiful workshop. Thank you for having us here yeah, today. Yeah, this has been amazing. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank it's you guys for so coming here. To and, uh, excited to feed you. This episode is sponsored by Tribeca Oven, artisan bakers of the finest breads in America. Reed Anderson is joining us from Tribeca Oven, Andrea. Yeah, he's the regional sales manager for the Southeast. We love Tribeca Oven. For those of you who do not know, Tribeca Oven makes incredible breads, focaccia, Reed, what else do you guys make? We make a, a litany of different products, but really what we hang our hat on is uh, the old school, old world style, European style loaves. This is the bread that a lot of restaurants and country clubs and hotels and cruise lines are using. And I'm not talking about like basic stuff. This is artisan quality baguettes mm-hmm. or ciabatta rolls or like panini, panini bread that is used in great sandwiches. I, you know, I've been to the production facility in New Jersey. Um, Andrew, have you been to the production facility? I have yet? been there. Yeah. yeah. It's what's amazing is it's a pretty big facility. Yeah. They're making a lot of bread each day. And, you know, we'll ask you about that in a sec, Reed, but it's like when you try these breads, I almost feel like they're coming out of some like little French bakers, you know, a small bakery. Yeah. I think that's what makes it special. I mean, for chefs, especially now, they don't, you, you don't have a baker on site typically. So to be able to take these par-baked products, stick them in your oven for 15 minutes and you get this amazing European quality bread. It's a very, very special product. Reed, talk to us about the product. So if you're a restaurant owner or a chef somewhere or, or whatever your business is and you need bread, these breads are fully cooked and they come to you ready to go? How, how does the whole thing work? So we started as actually a fresh daily delivery bread company about 30 plus years ago in New York City. And then what we found was that chefs and restaurateurs were getting their daily delivery, but at the end of service, they'd put all the leftover bread in the freezer. And by the end of the week, they were pulling bread out of the freezer and reheating it for, for their service or utilizing it in sandwiches and so forth. We moved across the river into Jersey and really didn't change anything in our recipe or our approach to our breads. The only thing that actually 
actually changed was the amount of hydration, the amount of water that went into the dough. Being that it's a par-baked product, uh, it's not fully baked. We do have some fully baked products in our, our burger buns and uh, that side of the business, but the majority of our bread is par-baked. So you receive it frozen, slack it out, and then bake it to your desired crispiness or, or texture for service. And that's really what makes our bread so nice is that, you know, down in the South, people tend to like a softer piece of bread where maybe up in the Northeast, they, they tend to prefer more of a, a crunchy European style crust and crumb. Andrea, are so you a it really, soft bread or, no. or a crispy bread? Crispy bread. Crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. Okay, I just want to check. Andrea is a, a master sandwich maker, so mm-hmm. I like to always <laughs> Amen. ask her about her, you know, breads and No, I, I, the soft bread is, does not do it for me. I tend to agree. Another thing I wanted to add while you were saying all of this, you know, the fact that the product comes to you and has a frozen shelf life is so important during these unpredictable days where, you know, you don't know how busy you're going to be mm-hmm. for a restaurant. You may have a lot of reservations. You may have cancellations. It's always a great thing to be able to have this on the ready. You don't have to worry about food waste. You can bake off as much as you need when needed. So that's really important to an operator, especially when managing food costs. Absolutely. You know, it, it puts you in fresh baked bread or puts operators in fresh baked bread at any day point or day part that they need fresh bread. Yeah. That's something when I was a salesperson, John, I would say to all of my customers, just as a like an emergency, if you get a, a daily bread delivery from some of the amazing bakeries in the city, like Amy's or Balthazar, that's great. But after that day, that bread's stale. You, you really can't use it again. Right. So if you do have like a pop-up party or something to have this in your arsenal, you know, just to always have a case of baguettes or a case of their burger buns. Sales technique, Andrea. So Reed, what are the ingredients? Obviously the quality is really high. You know, where do you guys source your ingredients? Let's start from the top. All of our recipes are are based on four main ingredients, right? Flour, water, yeast, and salt. And really that's it, right? We're not using any enzymes, any preservatives, any conditioners, any dough drugs is what we call them. So we really rely on our quality of ingredient, our input to be able to put out the maximum quality to our, our end users and operators. So when we're sourcing, say, our flour, right, we've partnered with farms in the Midwest that are sustainably minded and that track and trace their sustainability efforts and things like diesel consumption, water runoff, uh, the use of fertilizers, crop rotation, those types of things. Flour, as simple as it sounds, is a very complex ingredient. And we go through painstaking sourcing to, to make sure that we're getting the best flour. And really, that's where it all starts, right? Flour and water. Mother Nature kind of takes care of the yeast and, and the, the, the bacterial part of things and the, the, the action that happens to create the flavor. But really, it's all in that pre-ferment. And each of our breads have its own pre-ferment. What makes that so important is really that pre-ferment is what's giving the bread its DNA, what it, it is supposed to be. So, for example, our French baguette, really nice. Nice and crunchy on the outside, nice and chewy, soft on the inside. But when you break it open, you get these wonderful smells of lactic acid, these buttery notes, kind of creamy notes. And that stems from the pre-ferment, right? So that pre-ferment, the French baguette, 
is in fermentation for 18 hours before we even think about touching it, mixing it, turning it into what might resemble a loaf of bread. And that's what's giving it all its flavor and its texture. Ciabatta, for example, right? It comes from a biga, which is a, a type of starter. That's what's driving that nice, light, crispy outside and nice, airy inside. One of the great stories of Tribeca oven is actually our sourdough. And the culture of that sourdough comes off of Chardonnay grapes out of the Napa Valley. I'm not at liberty to say what vineyard or where in the Napa Valley it came from. However, that's what drives our flavor. And we take a European style and approach to our sourdough. So it's not overly sour. It has very nice sour notes to it, but it's not going to blow the palate off. When Hurricane Sandy came through um, a few years ago, and it pretty much wiped out our entire bakery, the one thing that we brought home with us was that sourdough starter to preserve. So tell us about what are some of the top selling items? Top five selling items would would definitely be our French baguette, our ciabatta slipper or loaf. Our focaccia comes in right right up there as well. Burger buns, our challah burger bun, along with our brioche. And we have a brand new potato bun. And number five comes back to the French profile and to our batard. What exactly is a batard? A batard is a, a French loaf that is wider and shorter than, say, a baguette. If you were to double the width and half the length, that, that would give you a batard. So, Andrea, I'm thinking about Tribeca Oven when I think about big events mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a hotel or a cruise line. You know, they may need a thousand rolls right. for this event. And it's, you know... It's a lot of labor. Yeah, unless you have a full bakery on site at your hotel, you know, how are you going to serve good bread? I guess you could buy it from a local bakery, but I, then I we think were talking that about food waste, you There's, talk about waste right. and, and just overall quality. So I imagine Reed that Tribeca oven is probably working with some great hotel groups in the United States. That's exactly right. The brilliant part of, of who we are and what we are is that we bring that quality, that local daily delivered quality to chefs, kitchens and diners tables without the the sacrifice of integrity or the labor aspect of it. It makes it very easy for a chef to be able to cost a menu and execute that menu uh, with our bread and not have to depend on any outside sources or finding the labor to, to make bread. Making bread in the United States, you know, is we have a lot of different microclimates, right? Bread down in Florida is not the same as it would be in New Jersey or New York or say California, right? You have different heat and humidity that really can affect that bread. And what our bread does is gives a very consistent quality time and time again. Yeah, that's a great point about the, the weather. People don't, I don't think everyone realizes how much the outside weather affects pizza making and bread making. I have another question, which is these low carb fad diets, the gluten-free diets, people, you know, there obviously there's a lot of people that do have celiac, but there's a lot of people that just try to avoid gluten in their diet now, or at least that's a lot of talk. Has that affected business or is, you know, the bread business robust? The bread business is robust. Uh, you know, as much as people want to talk about not eating carbs, people still very much eat a lot of carbs. Yeah, Andrea um, and I are and, living you know, proof of that. I just crushed a piece of pizza myself. <laughs> it brings up a really good point into the quality of ingredient, right? A lot of sensitivity to gluten has really stemmed from an inferior wheat product, right? Starting in the field and how they treat the, the crop, glyphosate being added to, to, to harden 
in the crop on time. We avoid all of that. Also, there's been studies that prove that the longer ferment on a dough or a piece of bread, the less gluten it actually has, right? So the, the wheat gluten is being consumed by the bacteria and by the yeast. So for example, sourdough, carbs in and carbs out are two very, very different numbers and very much on the low end coming out uh, because of that fermentation time. So we sell your breads to, you know, as John mentioned, to hotels and um, a lot of, you know, large caterers, it is available for retail as well, right, Reed? It is. Yeah. We, uh, we try and partner with smaller retail operations around the country. And it has the Tribeca oven brand on it. I think it has like the sleeves, right? So sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, right? We, obviously we prefer to keep it in a branded bag. However, the nice thing about the bread is that you can, a retail operation could make it their own, right? Put their stamp on it and call it house baked. I think that's great too. So if you have a retail specialty food store, or cheese shop, you can actually buy the Tribeca oven, mm -hmm. keep it frozen in your freezer, again, on a daily basis, pop it in the oven, get it crispy, get it to whatever consistency you like. And then you guys provide the sleeves if they want to put it in the Tribeca oven bread sleeve, the, the piece of paper, or you can have your own and, and brand it as your own. That's really cool. One of the biggest takeaways for who we are and what we are is the quality of ingredient that goes in, right? When you look at an ingredient deck and you look at the nutritional facts, you shouldn't be seeing a bunch of stuff that you can't pronounce. And that's exactly what Tribeca oven is. Flour, water, yeast, and salt. I think period. you bring up a great point there. Nothing freaks me out more. Mm -hmm. When I go into a supermarket or I have I have a product in my hand, the first thing I do with, and this is, maybe I'm weird. I don't know if you do this, Andrea or Reed. Whenever I buy something now, if I'm not familiar with the product, I go right to the ingredient deck. Of course, I mean, that's yeah. kind of like, yep. here's what you're mm -hmm. eating. And particularly with bread and bread products, the list of ingredients and things that are often on particularly shelf-stable breads but it's mind-boggling. I don't want to eat products that have a laundry list of 15 ingredients. And that's why I love Tribeca oven. It's clean. You, you got four things. You got flour, you got water, you got salt, you got yeast. That's it. That's it. That to me is the mark of a great clean product. I also think a lot of these issues that people have with feeling that carbs blow them up have to do with how those carbs, you know, kind of are treated and all the other things that are in that product. Absolutely. Bread, bread is the staff of life. We shouldn't be consuming things outside of flour, water, yeast, and salt in our bread. I'm with you. Listen, the greatest meal I think you can have on certain days is a piece of bread, a good, nice, a nice baguette, a little cheese. You could even throw a little salumi in there if you want, or ham and a, a bottle of wine. of wine. Yeah. Done. It's a great meal. Well, Reed, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I think everybody uh, should be going to their grocery store and upgrading their, their bread game and buying Tribeca oven. Yeah. And if you have a restaurant and you don't have a baker on staff, this is the ultimate, you know, great thing to be buying. It matches up with any fresh baked bread. And then you have all of those controls over inventory. So your food costs are great. And another thing I want to say is we are so happy to work with Tribeca Oven. Chef's Warehouse has Tribeca Oven breads in each of our warehouses across the country, whether you're in California or New York or Chicago or Florida or wherever, Texas, everywhere. And you guys have been such a great partner of ours. We really appreciate it. I know Andrea and I have both been to the production facility, the, the enormous bakery in New Jersey. And just seeing what goes on there and the level of care and quality is... It's, it's so impressive. It's really amazing. So we're grateful to have a partner like Tribeca Oven. 
Thank you, guys. We're grateful to have a partner like Chef's Warehouse as well. We, we match well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products discussed in today's episode on chefswarehouse.com.